On this episode of Year One, we speak to George Poo, co-founder and CEO of Simple Direct and ANC Capital. Simple Direct offers buy now, pay later programs for businesses within home improvement and healthcare. George speaks about his first failures, looking for co-founders, breaking into a highly regulated market and overcoming limitations by challenging himself. Sit back, buckle up and enjoy the show. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Dio Klopis, and my good friend, Satish Bala. On Year One, we speak to early stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards, and everything else in between. So, without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. George, welcome to Year One. It's great to have you on our podcast. The first question I'm going to ask is what we ask all people who come onto our podcast, and that is, why entrepreneurship? If I have a look at your LinkedIn profile, you actually started out as a developer and then you moved from being a full stack developer into co-founding two businesses. How did that come about? Yeah, I think a lot of things to answer your question, I think a lot of people don't know is I actually come from China and came to Canada for university. So it was actually a very new environment for me to be joining a university, a new country. I just be exploring different stuff. My major is computer science. I never knew anything about computer science until I joined university. So there was a lot of like learning process involved. I started my first project in university. It's called Teo Rideshare, but it's basically helping people have, take on in, intercity ride sharing. For example, if you want to rideshare from Waterloo to Toronto, we help you match people, match drivers to riders. So that was my first project. That was actually before my full stack developer journey. So. I always wanted to build something, I guess, right? But that was my first project. It failed pretty miserably after a couple months because I couldn't find the right co-founders. We didn't really have the knowledge of how a business is supposed to work. So after that, I said, okay, let me take a job as a software full-stack developer. Let me see what is it like to actually work for a startup. And then after I worked for that startup and also another startup in San Francisco, I learned what is it like to be in a startup. So I'm actually comfortable launching my own. So I always wanted to do my own. It's a very interesting point you made. You said your first app that you built failed miserably because you couldn't find the right co-founder and you couldn't get off the ground. Yet that didn't deter you. You still decided that I still, even despite this failure, this is the path that I actually want to pursue. Yeah. I think my first startup, I started out with my best friends at a time. Um, didn't really end up well, right? And friendship got soured for the same reason. So it was it was definitely not a great experience and didn't deter me because, well, I took time off, right? Just to be honest, I took a couple months off thinking, okay, I'll devote myself into this new job. Oh, I should do it better and learn how it's like. But, you know, after a couple months being at the full software developer, I kind of just got deterred because I feel like the management is not really listening to my feedback. And I think that's fair. Who listen to a feedback of a so-called co-op student, someone pursuing internship, right? But on the other hand, I just feel like I'm getting satisfied at the work. I'm not really feeling happy at the work and I'm not because of work itself, because I'm not feeling internally happy. That's why after that, I decided to start my own thing. Love that. I love it. And sorry, so did you give a question there? Most folks at the interim co-op stage don't want to make an impact don't have an opinion, don't want to sort of catch the attention. They just want to get in there or do some time, figure out what they like to do. Yet one of your thoughts is they weren't listening to my input for change or this internal sort of need to 
contribute and share and be heard. Something you learned growing up, like what were you like in school? Like, I'm just curious to, to go back a little <laughs> bit to go, what was George like in elementary and high school? And you also said you moved from China. Is that a cultural thing where having a voice, being heard, being proactive sort of was baked into who you are? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. I think, I mean, I mean, George, the students, I think, uh, it's definitely stubborn. There are things people tell me to do and I would just say, no, I'm not feeling like it. So in middle school, high school, I always joining different clubs. I love founding my own clubs in those organizations and I spent a lot of time on it. Right. Whereas like in China, most folks like in traditional high school, your goal is to really get a good grade to great universities. But you know, like for me, I love doing my own thing. I love founding a club. So I actually found a club in high school which is the student magazine club. So I have no idea how to launch a student magazine. By the end of my tenure, we were like one of the largest in the city, about a hundred thousand magazines printed at every two terms, which I think is pretty amazing. So that has just been my journey. And there are a lot of people saying, George, why are you doing this? It's not going to give you better grades. You're sacrificing your time when you're supposed to be studying, you're actually doing your own thing. So there was a little bit of conflict. I think it is a cultural issue, like you said, Satish, but that's just been me, George, the whole time. So I brought it to Canada with me. Do you have any siblings, George? Unfortunately, no, it's, I'm the only child yeah, in my family. Because a lot of times siblings create that sort of competitiveness, right? Of I want to mm -hmm. outdo my brother or sister, or was it parents that were directly influencing you? Was it a group of students that you were a part of that were all sort of in that level? I mean, to be at that age, I accomplished something sort of a hundred thousand prints and all this stuff. I'm trying to see where that motivation came from. And I think we can tie it directly to the entrepreneurship that you're doing today. I think part of it comes from the family. Um, there's definitely a family pressure that, you know, we have many successful entrepreneurs in my family. And I kind of feel the pressure of like being able to prove myself. I'm at a younger age. So I think that definitely contributes, but also the culture of schools in China, it's like you're basically competing with your classmates You're competing with other classmates in terms of grades and other issues, right? I kind of feel like I don't, I'm not that motivated to get perfect grades, but I'm pretty motivated to prove I am not just a standard test-taking person. I have my personalities, I have my characters, and I can actually prove myself to be something else aside from the generic norm, which I think even for coming here, I'm trying to do the same thing. I'm trying not to follow the trend. Whatever people are pursuing, I try to steer away from. For example, in, in the University of Waterloo, our goal in CS is to find a job in Google and Microsoft and Facebook and Amazon. So that's the thing I wanted to do in my four years of university. <laughs> so I just feel like there's a, definitely a trend here to explore. George, can we just pause a little bit and can you tell our users what is Simple Direct? Simple Direct is a buy now, pay later solution for businesses to launch their own buy now, pay later programs. So we are very focused on two industries, home improvement and healthcare. And before, you know, your viewers asking, oh, George, what about a firm? What about Apple doing their own buy now, pay later? For Simple Direct, we're different because we're very focused on large ticket, big ticket items. So anything that's beyond $10,000, we can actually help fund that, break it into up to 20 years stable monthly payments, up to $100,000 per person. So that is a sweet spot we're in, and that's Simple Direct. And how did this idea come about? Uh, well, that's a, it's an interesting story. Um, so I was, uh, so after my developer job, I'm desperate trying to find something to do while studying in schools, I tried to start observing people and things around me, trying to get across what kind of problem I can solve. 
So my roommate at the time, her name is Joey. Her dad was a recent immigrant from China. So her dad lives in Markham, came to Waterloo one day, and we just started chatting. And he works in the home improvement space. He told me, George, like in China, like the hardest thing for me is not getting paid. And I thought coming to Canada is going to be different. But after coming to Canada, I'm not, I'm still not getting paid the last installment. And that's because homeowners alike don't have enough money to pay for my services. So sometimes the service could be 25,000, could be $50,000. And at the end, $10,000, he's not getting paid. Right. And he's saying, George, I also have a problem. I have people who are just rejecting my services because I'm not able to provide financing because people there don't have twenty, thirty thousand dollars $30,000 on the bank account, just able to give it to me. That got my interest, but I have no idea how to solve it for him. But at the time, there's like a peer-to-peer lending, which is pretty popular in China at the time. People are doing peer-to-peer lending across the board. So I was like, okay, is there something we can do with peer-to-peer lending and the problem that he's facing with buy now, pay later? And I did some research and I found some lenders who are interesting, such as SoFi, Upstart, and Upgrade. I started chatting with them and they're open to do it. That's how I got the idea of like, okay, there might be something here I can solve. So is your business a double-sided market where you've got lenders and then you've got folks like the home renovation folks that need the extra light and you connect the two on a buy now, pay later model and take the percentages on top of the fees? Yeah, I would think of it as like a marketplace model. On the left side, you have lenders. On the right side, you have businesses. And we also serve businesses, customers, right? Which is also part of the marketplace. But we also, we always have the one side of lenders, which we added already added 10 to 15 different lending partners. So that's, has been pretty stable. And most of our time we're finding new businesses to join us, um, to be able to offer buy now, pay later. So that's essentially our model. One of the things that in that business is the due diligence that you have to put a customer through beyond your traditional KYC, especially if you are looking at a 10-year, 15-year, 20-year repayment, how are you increasing your knowledge about the industry? Are you surrounded by mentors? Are you, do you have advisors, partners, people that are in the ecosystem with you? Considering we started the, the conversation with, you had a great idea, but the partnership didn't work out. What did you do differently yeah. this time around? So the first time I thought I can just find the smartest people in my class and we can launch something great together. And it failed because I realized Smartest people are not always entrepreneurial. And to find someone, you have to find someone who is entrepreneur. And it's hard to find it when you're in, in university. So that was my goal. So I started searching around and I found two of my co-founders, Harman and Saho, whose both parents are entrepreneurial. And they decided to do this with me, even though they're not getting paid. And I said, okay, guys, let's try it. If it works out, it works out. If it doesn't work out, we all not even go on a separate path. We're still friends, but we can, you know, if this works out, it'll be great. We'll be building something great. And they joined without saying another thing. So that was my team. I'm still working with the same team, a co-founder team at least. So I'm pretty proud to say I definitely works out this time. And without the failing the first time, I wouldn't have got it right this time. So the, in terms of the ecosystem support, there was a lot of things that we have to figure out, especially when you're in lending. There's so many regulations in lending. We have to figure out, okay, how can we get a product out without having to spend weeks, months on compliance, right? And if you look at the fintech landscape today, many fintech businesses build themselves for 12 months before they can even launch, which is very costly. We didn't have the funding at a time. It was just a thousand bucks each from three of us to 3000 bucks. How can we turn 3000 bucks into an idea is the story. So we figure out a way for us to not having to be registered as a lender by becoming a broker, by becoming a middle person, by referring customers directly to lenders without us underwriting anything, without us transferring the money and without us taking on the risks. 
So that was the fastest way we realized we can launch the model. We learned that model maybe, I think, after three, four weeks of research. And then we came up with it. We just launched with it. And I mean, you know, it was a regret of mine that we didn't really get that much help, outside help at the time because I was, we were like 19, 20, I think, at age or maybe 21. Um, so didn't know that many people can help. So we just figured out everything ourselves, which I think is actually a miracle. George, did you have an interest in finance and lending and this whole market? You said 18, 19 years old. How many 18, 19 years old are thinking, let me become a broker? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, not really at the time. I think we were just trying to solve a problem. And if you look at entrepreneurs, if you look, if you ask like people like in traditional finance or fintech, asking them, okay, are you an expert in finance? People will say, no, they're not expert in finance. They're just interested in becoming an entrepreneur. And becoming an entrepreneur means that you have to learn new things. You have to learn how finance works, you have to learn how lending works, and then solve a problem. So for me, now I'm really into finance. I think it's because I started Simple Direct. But at a time, nah, I was just a CS student learning CS coding. So I guess my next, my yeah. follow-up question is you've gone into a very regulated space as youngsters. How did you gain credibility? Mm -hmm. How did you market yourself? How, if you look at all the other lenders out there, they probably had a much stronger financial backing and a base that they could actually offer a very similar type of service. So at that age, how did you break into that market? I think that's where, you know, problem solution fit or product market fit really comes to play. And I still believe it today. Like if you're solving a really painful problem, people will use you without second thoughts. So when we built the system, we have zero lenders that, that was just like, okay, let's just, guys, let's just build something that we can go out and try to go people. Right. So we have zero right. lenders at a time. We cold called 10 contractors in Texas and we're in Canada. So we cold called 10 countries in Texas and we asked them, Hey, uh, you know, we're this financing company. We we're called Chino financing at the time. So we're Chino financing. And we're help, we can help you offer financing to your clients, right? So here's our pricing. Our pricing is $49 per month. Uh, would you like to hear more? Would you like to try it, right? And we basically offered a pilot program at a time where people don't have to pay for 30 days. But after that, we would. And I think of the 10 people we called, I think six picked up and three or four signed up. I remember the first conversation we had, it was with a gentleman called Purvis Richard, who's a roofing contractor in Houston, Texas. And he says, I'm interested. Tell me more by email. And I told my co-founder, Saha, I was like, okay, I don't know anything about this space. I don't know anything. And we have zero lenders. Like, what the hell are we going to do? I can still find that email today, I think. Um, so that was how we got into the space and got, like, I don't think necessarily get credibility, but it's more like we're solving a problem so painful that people just need any solution they can grab. Anybody listening to it, the reminder for any entrepreneur is all the planning means nothing if you're not willing to pick up a phone call or make a phone call and ask the customer, would you buy this, right? And I loved the fact that you did that. And when I looked at the LinkedIn file, it says, you know, over $90 million process. And you go to your website, it is the most simplest, straightforward website, nothing flashy, nothing over the top. And that's what I love for people to, you know, go and check this thing out. You don't need a lot of fancy stuff if you get the market fit right. Yeah, I, I think the really bold thing is we re, we haven't changed our app for two years until like, I think two weeks ago. So it was just looking basic and simple for two years. And we really haven't made them many changes to it because our customers are happy using it. They're not saying, oh, George, I'm so desperate for a beautiful looking UI, UX. You know, like there's so many people in the tech industry who pursue that, but we didn't because we focus on our customers. We focus on what they need. And a lot of times what they need is having great support and a system that works. So we kind of realized that and we just like, okay, let's just go ahead with it. Whatever works, let's just make it work. It's not over complicated. 
So I think Satish, you're absolutely right about that. George, I want to go back to the co-founders, if you don't mind. So up until this point, none of you had worked together, right? Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. No, so not really. As a brand new team, young team that's not aware or have knowledge of this particular market, how did you guys gel and form a relationship and actually overcome some of the challenges of new founders that start building a business together? For me, I, I recommend every founder to first time founders to start something with people that they know, people they are friends with and people they believe, like you believe they're entrepreneurial, I can stick through it. So I think if you see those three requirements and they all fit, then I think you can explore a business with them. So for me, both of my co-founders, Sahil and Harman, we're in the same program, right? We, I, we were in a double degree program, which is a U, U Waterloo CS plus Laurier BBA. So we're all in a double degree program. It was just a hundred people of us. So that's how we bounded. That's how we met. So I've known them for about a year or a year and a half now, but like I didn't start the first business with them. I think I grabbed dinner with each of them and say, here's the idea. And I try to pitch to them. I said, okay, here's a big problem in the home improvement space. And this is why the solution is so great because there's no one else in the industry who's doing this. Right. And because Harmon, uh, I think he's uh, dad working in the industry once. So he understands exactly what the pain points are. He says, I'm in at a dinner in Toronto. So I think that's how he was in. And then Sahil was even before that. We didn't even have to have one conversation What he says, when he sees I'm building something, he says he's in because he believes in me. So that was a bound that we have. And I recommend it to everyone looking to build a business. Like don't recruit a co-founder based met each other at a conference, right? Don't recruit a co-founder because you went to the same school and connected on LinkedIn. Connect with a co-founder that you truly believe in, who's not going to dip when times get tough. So I want to ask you a follow-up to that, because there's a lot of confusion for first-time founders when they think about co-founders. It's different when they're hiring people, right? Like here's the VP, here's what they do, here's the president. But the title co-founder creates a different level of stress because are we equal? Are we co-founders <laughs> from a position of ideation? Even if we are all co-founders, somebody founded it first. And then the co-founders are right. invited. These politics tend to take up a lot of headspace when they shouldn't. So can you talk a little bit about, you know, the architecture? When you, when you talk about being a co-founder, how do you divide? Like, how do you make sure that there's measurement across each partner? And how often do you guys as co-founders audit yourselves? Yeah, that's a great question, Satish. I think when we started, we realized, okay, this is a fintech business. So someone has to take on partnerships. So I was very okay to my, raise my hand to do that. And then we need someone to work on sales because it's a sales platform. So we had Sahil, who's great at sales, been an entrepreneur since he was 14, doing that. And then we also have someone need to develop the marketing campaigns, they need to reach out. So Harman was doing that. So the three of us were perfect. I mean, I know how to code. So I was like, okay, let me just build a software together. We didn't really align. Like we said, okay, here's what you do. Here's what I do. Here's what we do. What we do is we just come together to my dorm at a time um, on University Avenue, three of us together and try to get something done. Um, we just come come to my like apartment every day after school. That's it. And then we try to sort something out. What was our process? I don't think we really did audits, but because we're so early and we're just three of us, the whole team, so there's not really any point of doing audits. Uh, I do audits now quite, quite often though, so. George, in addition to Simple Direct, I see that you're also the co-founder of ANC Capital. So I guess my question is, and your podcast host as well of all <laughs> this build. So you are 
it is essentially two startups. They're still early year companies. You're running a podcast, which you also started quite recently. What's the drive? Why are you doing so many things and, and as opposed to putting all your energy into Simple Direct, for example, or are you finding that this, the involvement in, ac across all these different things, does that split your focus or does it actually mm -hmm. allow you to focus even more because you have the distractions of other things that are happening? Yeah, I think uh, I think part of it is I, I always want to challenge myself with doing new things. Um, and if you look at like the portfolio, I'm doing uh, host, hosting a podcast because I was actually you know afraid of talking to people initially uh, for a long time. So in my first three years of starting my company, I I was afraid of talking to people. I was afraid to being on a podcast like this one. So my challenge for myself is okay. Let me force myself to talk to one person a week. Right, not a hard thing to do. Talking to one person a week on the podcast. Uh, it's not hard, but it it took a long time to get used to. So it was kind of a goal for myself. For ANC is because I, I've been working in the home improvement space and working in the healthcare space for so long. I want to challenge myself and say, okay, George, how about going to asset management? Just try something new. Also work on it, which is like part-time of what you're spending time on Simple Direct, right? If a Simple Direct is like eight to eight to nine, you can work on ANC from nine to 12, which is an extreme example, but you guys get the point. So I feel like there's so there's just some people. I'm not comparing myself to Elon Musk or Jack Dorsey, but you know some people do point out their names. But there are people that just find joy into doing multiple things, and they found themselves being doing one thing might just be either limiting themselves or they're not feeling like they're being challenged enough. So that's personally how I look at it. How do you um, focus when you are doing work? Because you know multiple outlets. Unless you're really zoned in, and I've been studying a lot about this idea of creating slow state. Whether I'm in a creative mood, how do I be in a creative slow state if I'm in a sales mode? So I've been trying to life hack myself through a bunch of mm -hmm. things like the timers and putting on the sleep mode and different, you know, laptop. Like I have an iPad that I only use for Slack and email. And on my laptop, I don't have those because yeah. those are the ones that are distracting. So I've been trying to hack myself into creating as long of a flow as I can be in. And it's the mm -hmm. flow state that allows me to be the most efficient in the least amount of time. I'm curious about some of the hacks or habits or rituals that you've maybe created to, to do what you do. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, before this year, I, I'll talk about this year first. This year, I learned something really awesome. And as that's working out every single day, or I say six days a week. So that's something I've not tried before because I was a little skeptical about it. I tried meditation which I think opened my eyes, definitely made me more calm, but I feel like something's missing. So this year, my co-founder recommended me, okay, George, go to the gym for six days a week. Okay, let me try it. I started off by going one day a week and then eventually become today. But I feel like the process of working out makes your entire rest of your day energetic and you flow when you're just standing or you're sitting or you're doing anything, you're dish yeah. dishwashing, making coffee. It flows through your head easily. So that's something never learned I, I want to share with you guys. Before this year, I go a lot, I go a lot on walks and I feel like going on walks kind of gives me the inspiration as well, but I feel like working out trumps going on walks though. So I'll, I'll recommend that hundred percent. Are you the 5 a.m. club? <laughs> not really, not really. <laughs> I'm like an 8 or 9 a.m. club, but yeah, inconsistent, inconsistent club. I think that's where I'm in. Yeah. Oh. I go in multiple times. That's awesome, man. That's awesome. And George, tell me very quickly. 
have you bootstrapped, you and the co-founders, have you bootstrapped this business? Did you go and get investment? We've been bootstrapped in like entire, okay. entirety of our business. I think until recently, uh, recently we raised some friends and family capital. It's about a quarter of a million in four different rounds. And the idea that we had is, I want to share this with you guys. One of my co-founders, uh, Harman, is pretty strict about not following vanity matrix early on. When I said, Harman, we can raise a million dollars. We can become a five million, 10 million dollar startup on paper. And he said, George, I don't believe in paper money. And he said the same thing, I think 10, 20 times to our journey together. He doesn't believe in paper money. He believes in revenue. He believes in seeing things that we're seeing. And I think when you have a co-founder like that, it, it is amazing because you're not just like following the game. You're trying to make yourself like stressing yourself out on like C series A, which definitely is exciting. But for our journey, we bootstrapped so long in our journey and we met some amazing people building the team. And because of him, we realized, let's just raise friends and family capital, people who truly believe in us, who doesn't have an exit horizon. And those are the people that we only work with, who invest in our business. And today we're just reached 95 million dollars in terms of total funding on a platform. So like a lot of people can understand, like, well, how can you do that without getting venture funding, without getting a few million dollars? But I feel like we put, picked the right path, but not for everyone, obviously. That's a strong, I mean, having that type of ethos or a co-founder that is so adamant about that. I just wonder when you reach the point where you're actually saying to take it to the next level, we actually have to go out and get other funding. What type of dynamic that could potentially be amongst the co-founders if you've got a person that is so strong in the belief that we don't want to do that. I was the person who was adamant about raising funding because of how I was influenced. I was like, okay, let's get funding all the time. And sometimes I don't listen. I go out talking to investors, having investor dinners anyways. Um, and you know, the, the takeaway I had is like, I'd done a, a multiple pitches. People were committed, but I just didn't feel really the vibe. They were here for the long term. I just couldn't feel it. I talked with many investors in Canada, in the U.S. It feels like most of us are just like here for the herd, right? If you have a lead investor, everyone else jumps in. They don't really care about your business, to be quite honest. So I don't, I, I personally, I don't want this type of investors on my cap table. And also because my family business, um, you know, my uncle who runs like a manufacturing giant in China produces a lot of capital, a lot of money, every single revenue, every single year. And the whole, the sole shareholder of that company is him and my cousin. So right. two of them. That's how it was. Inspiration. And the case is really unique. Like, in, I, you know, I started school deal with three partners and one of them was adamant that we should never raise any money. And, but my vision to scale needed capital and it ended up to a point where we agreed to disagree and I bought him out and he moved on because the vision was aligned, but this is co-founders, but there's one person who always owns the vision more than everybody else. And then. All of it is a dice roll. At the end of the day, whether you bootstrap or you raise funding, market changes, product changes, it's a dice we roll and then hope for the best <laughs> and then be ready to roll the dice again. So it's, I, I love the discipline that got you guys this far. Thank, thanks so much. I think, you know, like a lot of times we have been pressured to actually prove ourselves and do something. And there's, there's certain times that we feel like, okay, funding, for example, we got paid three months after a loan is funded. So sometimes we'll have a lot of loans getting funded, but us not getting paid until three months after, even short-term cash flow problems. So those times are truly tough when you think about, okay, how do I make payroll? Because I know we're going to make payroll in two months, but this month I'm worrying, right? I think people don't talk about that enough. But I feel like you have the same problem, whether you're bootstrapped or funded or a unicorn. Like this year is why you probably be experiencing that across the board. So there are definitely many tough times around. I think people don't talk about it as much. 
But for us, like there are so many part, tough times. But I feel like giving any co-founder team, they probably dip, if I'm being honest. And I feel like we are so lucky that I have the team I have. And when I talk to people, I started business with my friends. People are like, oh, they give me the eyes. Like, okay, I don't believe you. I don't believe you're really friends. I don't believe you share your live stories with each other, but that's what we do. Like it's a unique story. So I want to share with your audience. Yeah, just on, on the tail end of that, where do you guys find time or how do you create space to look around the corner? Because when a business grows and you start to think about the day-to-day issues, cash flow, hiring people, payables, receivables, and all these things, it's so easy to just get by an incredible, enormous list of things that has to happen now or maybe three days from now, but you got to continuously, you know, sort of innovate in your category. You got to look at what competitive yep. products are coming out or look around the bend and take the next batch of risk. How often do you guys do that? Is that implemented sort of strategic practice or is it sort of, as you make time, you sort of do it. Talk to us a little bit more about the planning side of the business. Of course, I think I think when there's like cash flow concerns or when I'm worried about money, I tend not to spend that much time on it. I, I hopefully like, okay, like fortunately it's only maybe 5% of the time of me being co-founder. Um, I think 95% of the time I'm really long-term focused. And when I go on walks, when I go think about, when I go around my day, I always think about what can this business be two, five years from now? Like what can this business be 10 years from now? And how can I achieve that vision? Right? Because everyone's seen from the outside, seeing out today and not quoting Jeff Bezos, but he was thinking about the same thing, right? Like even now looking three, five years ahead. So I try to do that. Sometimes it's tough because you have, you run into cash flow problems, you run into day to day, like you said, Satish, especially when you're in the lending space. Um, so I try to delegate that as much as I can. Uh, I try to spend a few hours a day just reading. Um, that was before the, before, you know, this end last year, I would read a lot and try to distance from the day to day just by reading new things. And by reading it, I kind of got my ideas across that way. So it is, uh, that's a fun journey. So we introduced like simple direct payments, which actually helps businesses accept payments pretty easily. And people will say, oh, George, that's just building it on Stripe Connect. You're not innovating anything. <laughs> but, you know, it's actually based on hundreds of hours of conversations with our customers. And then we decided to put like, so many people asked us to build it, but we did not build it until the last possible minute because we want to build something that's going to turn into revenue and turn into users' hand being used right away. So we, ha- we have the discipline of that. Uh, I'll give you that. George, you mentioned that you've had a few low moments. During this journey, have you ever had a moment where you decided this is not worth it? And if so, how did you get yourself out of that? I did have the idea in the first year, we hired a salesperson on a team who was very successful from the U.S. who was able to close four to five deals with us every single day by making 100 calls. Not judging that right now, but let's say it was very successful. We did that for three months, right? It was very successful. Eventually he asked for more raises because we would have one salesperson at the time. He asked for more raises. He asked for more like more compensation and we couldn't agree to that. And it got into like a very heated argument, right? Whereas like a lot of arguments back and forth, a lot of things happening. And as a 21 year old, it buffled me. I, I was like, okay, I don't know what's going on. I'm 21 salesperson is like 40 something. He clearly knows more than me. He clearly knows how to pressure me into doing things that I've been promises. So it, I'll come up to the day where I have to let him go and seeing our sales numbers falling down and being very discouraged. I just basically sit at the sofa in my condo where I was thinking by myself, okay, should this just be it? Right? Like it was such a big blow to our business. We still have people who are on, who, who are using our software, obviously, but without the salesperson, can we make it forward? So I called my cousin, I called a few other people. Um, I think my co-founder, uh, I think 
one of them was on vacation, one of them has a family issue. So there weren't me at the time. So that was why I was, I was having those thoughts. But eventually I slept over it. Next day I was like, okay, that was an issue. I talked with people about it. And now I know what's the problem about it. And now I, I know I can fix it. It's not an issue that's not fixable because people are still using our software. People are still happy about it. Salespeople quitting doesn't mean the end of the world. So that was my thought process. So I took like a night off and next day I'm like going back to business as usual, finding solutions to the problem. So I, I love that. And I think that's an important message, you know, that sometimes we have to distance ourselves from what's going on in order to actually see the wood from the, mm -hmm. because when you get caught up in the moment, if you make a decision right there and then it might not necessarily be the best decision that serves you well. So, exactly. Yeah. I love exactly. that. I think I'm just conscious that, you know, we come to the last segment and as part of the last, I don't know, Satish, I don't know if you've got any last questions for George before we go into the last segment. Let's use the word success loosely because it's subjective and mm -hmm. every founder has their own definition of it. But let's assume there's a level of success that you've already experienced and we're all founders on the call. We've all experienced levels of success. What I'm curious about is when you start this early in life, 2021, and you haven't lived life yet, but you're living life through business and entrepreneurship and the sales guy that you just talked about. There's another version of, you know, somebody starting a business much later in life, maybe their early thirties, whatever it is, but now they've got like life and then business. And there's an interesting synergy that happens because you've got a, a bit of both sides of the coin. Um, how are you building life moments as you're busy building your business moments? Amazing question. Uh, I think, yeah, up until like a year ago, uh, I think I wasn't really focusing on my life that much. Um, I was, you know, a little bit fat at a time as well because, I, because of lockdowns, but I'm not blaming my topics myself. Like I didn't work out that much. Um, I was like just fat. I was um, kind of, I wouldn't say I was depressed, but I was super busy every day. I kept myself busy day and nights. And I realized, that, okay, every one of my friends like going to parties or doing different things or enjoying life. But, you know, here I am, I'm happy. I'm trying to find out the reason for my unhappiness. Uh, so I kind of did a deep dive, right? And I realized that it was a standard I set for myself. It was also something I'm trying to look past, trying to avoid and what it was. I'm not going to talk about that, um, but I'm going to talk about, you know, basically just keeping myself busy, like not understanding, like there's much bigger things out there. So I, so I took, uh, I think two weeks off to Vancouver, do some mountain climbing, getting plucked off from work. After I come, after I came back, I realized that I have to be a better person now, have to be a better human beings now, because when we started the business, I wasn't really that kind to my co-founders as well. I'll, I'll, I'll put it on record for that. I was mean because I was objective, I, I was object, like objective oriented at the time. I wasn't people oriented at all. So I wasn't really like a great founder in terms of being nice to people. I was like a Steve Jobs type, which is jerk. After realizing I have to have a better life, after realizing I have better mental health, after realizing I have to have a better physical health, I took a three, six, 180 turn, actually 180 turn. And I started developing goals and to try to make myself better, including developing the workout routines, including like plug, plug time off, just not doing anything, right? Just plugging time off, keeping it to myself including working out. I couldn't imagine spending an hour a day, like before last year, like workout. Well, I mean, if you count the time you shower, the kind of time you go to the gym, which is probably two hours, right? And then asking me at a time, give two hours a day to do something different. I was like, hell no, I'm not going to do that. Right. But like, because you have different, because I have a different mindset now, 
because I'm a different person now. I feel like I have to do it. And you know what? I'm more successful this year than I have been like the past couple of years, especially when I was a jerk. I think I was, uh, I was like the lowest moment of my life. I did something well, but it wasn't success to me. <laughs> the yeah. self-awareness that you have, I think is actually so impressive for a person that's so young, you know, it, it really is. Anyway, going to the last segment. So as part of the last segment, we have, I will basically ask, share three words with you. And then for each okay. word, I would like you in the context of your journey, tell me what that word conjures up. So mm -hmm. the first word is family. <laughs> That's deep. Uh, family, you know, I, I've been like, you know, because of COVID, I actually haven't like met my family personally for about four years now, almost five years. And it's taking a lot of tolls, you know, sometimes like, okay, I haven't been able to see my family. I haven't seen it. It will see my grandparents for such a long time. And it, it's just, it, I, I kind of feel like it's un unacceptable for me to not be present for that long of a time. Right. And not able to come back to my country and, you know, see my family has been taking a toll, but also they've been always supportive of my journey. I know a lot of founders who are bending to family pressure, especially at my age. I'm just so glad my parents have been super helpful, uh, super understanding about like my experiences. Like they are not, you know, bankrolling my project, but they understood initially I needed some money to get off the ground. So they gave me a, a couple of thousand dollars to pay for the salesperson and also just keep the lights on. So I was really grateful about that. It's not a lot. But I want to thank my mom and dad. I love that. Second word then is team. Team. I think it's a lot of learning process. It's like when you, when you go through a journey like this, I think like you, you kind of mentally, you, you just become old for a couple of years. So mentally, I always think of myself as like a lot older than my, you know, physical age. I think the tough days in my life were because my, my, my team is on vacation or away. And when they're here with me, I don't feel. I don't feel that I'm without my co-founders. I don't feel like I'm ever alone building this startup. And when people see someone like they look at me, George, right? But it's always been a team. And I'm not going to say the words that, oh, like a team is perfect. But the team I have is perfect for me. That is amazing. I actually got goosebumps just thinking sleep to you And then the last word is entrepreneurship. I think a lot of people think of it different ways. But, you know, like entrepreneurship, it's not just being a founder, right? It's about building a business, whatever that business is, taking it to the next level with objections. Like Satish said, there are people starting their business in 30s and 40s. And there are different objections as of you've started, you know, 20s. People think starting a business in your 20s is easy. It is not. People think starting a business in 30s, 40s is easy, right? You're just about like, you're just hitting walls and walls over and over again with your head until you break the last wall and you make it. So... I think that's the definition of entrepreneurship. So think about that before you start a startup, but I will recommend 100% do it. George, that is brilliant. And on that note, I would like to thank you for being on our podcast. It's been absolutely amazing listening to you. How can people reach out to you? People can reach out to me on Twitter. My username is the George Poo. I'm LinkedIn, I'm George Poo, so reach out to me anytime. Um, my email is George at getsimpledirect.com. So if you are a founder and need, me, need my help, reach out anytime. I'm always helping. Excellent. Thank you, Thank George. You, George. It's been great. Year One is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Satish Bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by Bluemex. For more Year One content subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemex.io to join us on Discord.